Welcome to Writing It, a podcast by Ed Adams. The Triangle, Episode 6. Dirty Money, Here's How to Clean It. A novel by Ed Adams. Cannes, France. Cannes was crowded with a trade event. The city famous for the film festival was used for much of the year for other less well-known events and had many ingredients for a good week away from the office for various types of commercial visitors. Whether it was TV soaps, physiology, retail technology or yachts, there was some show or convention and Cannes could provide lavish hotels and a great backdrop. It was November, but the splendour of the Mediterranean resort was undiluted. Sun-bleached, super-saturated colours and the unmistakable allure of a chic resort, even if it was only a week or so before it would plunge into winter. The sky was bright blue, cloudless and a big contrast to a few days earlier when Amelia had left and there had been a steady rain against a darkened sky. The elements were feeling playful in the last moments of the transition to the darker seasons. She drove slowly along the croisette, past the Palais de Congress where the film festival and many of the trade shows were held. She was heading back to the Carlton but had to lose the Peugeot first. The Carlton was one of the most splendid hotels along the croisette. A gaggle of valets and doormen stood outside. Amelia drove slowly past, then turned into a side street and sought a parking spot for the car, close to the hotel. For Amelia Brophy, this town was a perfect place to create an alibi. She could arrive, book into the trade conference in an obvious way, and then use Nice Airport as a hub during the week to move around to follow her instructions. She could easily disappear into the conference of several thousand people, and at the end of the week would have perfect evidence of her whereabouts from the badges, booking in materials and general paraphernalia of the conference. She drove the Peugeot to a parking lot near to the train station and then walked back to the Carlton Hotel a few blocks away. By her planning, she now had ostensibly been in Cannes for three days. The conference was soon coming to its close. Her documentation and travel would be consistent with spending the week in Cannes. There was no link with the events at the gallery or with the unusual route she'd taken from the UK back to the conference. The change of orders had interfered with her original plan, but as a professional, she knew she needed to reach her anonymous bolt hole in the Carlton and then to take stock of what to do next. Her room at the Carlton was luxurious. She had not chosen a suite, which would have been easier to notice if unused, but a room of the type that many conferences booked in large quantities. Unoccupied rooms overnight at a large conference were nothing unusual to the hotel staff who had seen everything. As she walked back into her sea-facing room, she saw the jacket she had hung outside of the wardrobe, PC laptop switched on with a screensaver and the bed already showing turndown service, complete with a little chocolate confection on both of the pillows. The whole room told a short story to any staff that happened to drop by. She threw the envelope onto the bed and headed directly to the shower. Two days of travelling after an arduous job in London gave her a great sense of need to freshen up. She also transformed herself from businesswoman to somewhat more sophisticated and continental look, wearing a casual blouse and a light-coloured jacket over black trousers and some sharply pointed high-heeled shoes. If before she'd looked the archetypal travelling businesswoman, she now looked far more continental, European and casual. Then she sat down with her computer to start to consider her next actions. She began to look up information about Jake and the Street magazine. A business transaction. Bigsy and Claire travelled in a second taxi back to Bigsy's place. As they arrived, they noticed that one of Bigsy's flatmate's cars had managed to park close to the house, a rare feat in this part of central London. 
Rick worked for a well-known estate agent's chain and they'd given many of their mobile employees cars that were almost identical minis. The vehicles were tricked out with a unique green, black and yellow camouflage paint job which also advertised the estate agency firm. They'd become a frequent and commonplace sight on the streets of London. Inside, Rick was chatting affably to Jake as they turned and Claire and Bigsy walked in. I was telling Rick about our plan to take a couple of days to photograph London for your project, Claire, he lied. And both Bigsy and Claire picked up from this that Jake was not saying anything about what had been happening to Rick. I told Rick we might need to do some detailed planning this evening. Rick smiled, yeah, that's great. I'm out tonight, seeing a gig over in Camden. I may stay out over there. The four continued to chat, and then Rick made some excuses and prepared to leave for his evening. Okay, so what did you find? asked Jake in hushed tones. The others explained. Jake's flat looked superficially normal, but there had been a break-in and the laptop, digital recorder and many CDs had gone. But look, because he exclaimed, this is your backup unit and they didn't take it. Please tell me you're backing up your computers the way I told you to. Jake smiled. He was known to be somewhat lackadaisical on most things related to technology, but because of his work, the one thing he was good at was backups. The infamous missing Royal College report had led him to this fastidious for backup because he'd nearly lost his job when he deleted an important story which had been partly written by somebody else from the, from the office. He'd had to spend four or five days, including midnight hours, to get the work done again so that his colleague didn't suffer, although he'd also taught Jake to play it safe when using computers. Half a world away in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, another scene was unfolding in this capital city grown from the desert. Riyadh's skyline is dominated by two enormous towers, one featuring a pointed building and the other taking the appearance of a crown. They are known as Al-Faisalia and the Kingdom Tower. The Faisalia's building top area features a revolving restaurant from where it is possible to look out from the capital to the city and to the desert. The restaurant is shaped like a ball and has a distinctive and more private area for smoking exquisite cigars. The meeting was taking place in this restaurant. In keeping with the dress code of Saudi Arabia, five of the six men seated around the table were wearing conventional Arab clothing, three with the traditional red and white checkered headdress and the other two with the less common white. The six men was wearing a western suit, elegant but quite understated, white shirt and red tie of similar hue to the colours in the headscarves. They had been drinking fruit dupes and eating from a light tabula and medze. Then one of the men spoke to a group in English of the situation they had convened to discuss. We will need to re-examine our trade clearance processes, he stated. The route we have been using has been compromised. We will need to find another way. Mr. Fredrickson here is to help us create the next route for our shipments. Mr. Fredrickson, can you please explain how this will work? Fredrickson was the suited Westerner in this group. From Sweden, slim, blonde hair, spectacles and a light tan, suggesting someone well-travelled. He started his explanation. It was filled with business jargon, but essentially said he could facilitate the creation of some new trading processes which could help certain transfers of large sums of money on a global scale. These needed to go through special procedures before the money was available for use. To do what he intended, he needed some substantial down payments from the assembled group. This was his fee for the work, and separate from the further great operating expenses he expected to incur in creating the new environment. The five Arabs switched into Arabic conversation for around ten minutes, and Fredrickson waited patiently. It was the second meeting. In the first one, there had been much bargaining to reach a position. 
He knew that when working with this group, he would need to build in some points which could be conceded, as well as some individual handling fees payable to each of the people around the table. We will need to negotiate the detail of your terms, but we accept the general approach. The five Arabs nodded their acceptance and then continued to speak to one another in Arabic. Fredrickson said, In that case, gentlemen, I will bid you all good evening. I can catch the next flight to London at 0200, and this will mean I can start making the arrangements. Overall, this is going to take around three weeks to set up. My colleague will be in contact to finalise the payment terms. Please understand this agreement is irreversible, and once we start, there will be no going back. The five Arabs nodded. Sukran said the leader. Masalama. Fredrickson stood, bowed his head slightly, made eye contact with each of the Arabs, and then left the table and walked back towards the staircase from the cigar room, back to the express elevator and down to the ground floor. Then a detour to his room on the 40th floor using a separate elevator, where he collected an already packed slim traveller bag, and then made his way again to the ground floor. He walked across the front lobby, where a combination of Arabs sipped tea in a conventional Arabic way from tiny cups, and western-looking business people sat in huddles talking about deals and business in the kingdom. He noted the absence of women in this strictly Islamic country. The lobby entrance was vast sweeps of breathtaking glass, and as he approached he signalled to the doorman, and within a few seconds a sleek black Lincoln town car had pulled up outside the lobby. He could head straight for the airport, out through the suburbs and across the desert to the vast Khalid International Airport, with its massive underground car park, huge mosque and misleading architectural design like a major American hub. Deceptive because the airport lacked shops or other conventional western trappings, he steeled himself for what he knew would not be a particularly pleasant wait for his plane. Mm-hmm.